Um, as was mentioned, I don't know if all of you found out or not, but Vivian's mother passed away. They'd come over to the church app just early, earlier this morning before church began. So, yeah, we want to remember a family in prayer this morning as well. So let's bow our heads for prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather in this way to worship you. We thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, your willingness to suffer and die for us. Because of that, we have reason to gather like this and to read your word and to pay attention to what you have to say because of the sacrifice you made for us. We pray this morning for Vivian and her family, pray a special grace and peace for them, and just pray that you might comfort them and that you might um, give them, remind them of, of your hope and your joy. And just bless Mel as he brings a message. Um, thank you for his um, insight in your word and for how you have led him and trust that you will give him strength and courage to speak this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Greetings in Jesus' name and welcome to each one this morning. It's good to be here again. Years ago, um, when Joss and I were first ordained to the ministry, uh, John Lapp was sort of our teacher, our mentor, and uh, this is in the context of some other brother that was ordained or church that was going through an ordination, and John made a comment to Joss and I that uh, whoever was chosen, and I don't remember the details, uh, if this person gives himself to his calling and to the work, he will be, and you know how John is very, he weighs his words very carefully, he doesn't speak impulsively, and I was kind of expecting him to say blessed or happy or rewarded, but he said fulfilled. You know that word took on a new meaning in that context. For some reason, I wasn't expecting him to use that word fulfilled. But how true that statement is. Isn't that what we're all looking for, searching for, desiring? Fulfillment in whatever. Your work, your service to the church, your commitment to your family, fulfillment. And I, I just, for some reason, never forgot that. And, and I'd like to look this morning at the, the fulfilled life. And this is, as I, I don't know if I warned you last Sunday, maybe a sequel to last Sunday's message, where I had preached about the, I'm drawing a blank, what was the title? Um, privileges, there you go, thank you. Um, privileges of the believer, and there are a lot of privileges that we have that are just that, it's a privilege. I wasn't focusing so much on duties and responsibilities and disciplines, 
but more privileges. And briefly, they were access, access to God in a context of us being high priest, comparing that with the Old Testament high priest that had access once a year on a very specific occasion, dressed in a very specific way with the prescribed offering. Then there's union with Christ. And again, comparing the Old Testament, uh, Levitical priesthood and all that, union with Christ and with one another. And then security. Security in Christ, which we, uh, which really, those really, and there's others, but those are the ones that I focused on thinking of privileges of the believer. But now this morning I'd like to continue with that thought and thinking of the fulfilled life. Um, and certainly I'm going to be looking a little more at some of these duties and responsibilities and disciplines of the believer. But I also want to intertwine the fulfillment that we experience and uh, experience through that as we faithfully serve where God has called each of us to. Uh, and of course, Jesus teaches in, in his teachings while he was on the earth, taught you know, very consistently keeping his commandments is also part of that. Uh, John 8, 31, 32 says, If ye continue in my word, then are you my, my disciples indeed. And this was in the context of that discussion he had with the leaders, and then there was those that believed. And there's a couple times he, he would speak directly to those that believed, and then the religious leaders who held him in arm's length. But Jesus was speaking now to those believers. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Who's not searching or interested in truth? You know, whatever the issue is, whatever the occasion, we're all searching, looking for, and desiring to know the truth. So I'd like to look at the fulfilled life. And I invite your attention to Matthew 22. And thank you, Conrad, for laying the groundwork. Quite a few of the references that he referenced we'll be looking at a little more. Um, always marvel at God's leading during that time. Now, he drew from Mark, but I'd like to look at Matthew's writing regarding the, the uh, greatest commandment in Matthew 22. This is a, a scene where a, a lawyer came to Jesus and wanted to know what is the greatest commandment. Let's read Matthew 22, starting in verse 36 to the end of verse 40. Uh, back up one verse, 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asking the question, tempting him, and saying, Master, which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus saith unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. There was a commentator that gave you this information. He said the scribes had 
613 commandments. 613 and 248 were positive, 365 were negative, and I'm not exactly sure what that meant, except that they also, that, that somehow related to the heavy commandments and a light commandment. And apparently that's what this lawyer was looking for. What is the heaviest, the weightiest, the most, I guess you'd say the most important commandment? And Jesus answered that very well. Of course, that goes all the way back to the Ten Commandments. That's, that was the basis, that was the first, uh, um, the beginning of the Ten Commandments, where we have, we have those. Jesus would, would uh, reference these as, in their culture, in their setting, heavy laws or important ones or the greatest so a person could kind of focus and major on heavy commandments and kind of tend to overlook the light ones. That's sort of the view that they took. Um, they had a way of separating the two, or the, the, those 600 some odd laws into these two categories. But you know, Jesus taught, and the scriptures throughout uh, our teach consistently, that if you break one, you're guilty of the whole law. And Jesus spoke of that. That's, that's, that's also brought out in James 2, verse 10. Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You know, to love God is not only to have good feeling toward him. In fact, that word love is the word agape, which is the uh, divine love that God showed to us and gave himself. And that's the same type of love that we are to have toward one another and toward God. Toward God first and then to our brothers. True love involves a will as well as a heart. Where there is love, there will be service and obedience. And the second commandment is like unto it, he says. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Um, you know, John 13.35 says, All the law and the prophets hang on this commandment. 1 John 3.10 teaches us that a person cannot claim to love God and hate his brother. In fact, John goes as far to call that person a liar. You claim to love God, all the law hating your brother, you're not telling the truth. It, it can't happen. It's not possible. So this is the greatest commandment, and may I say the beginning of living a fulfilled life. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor being beyond the person that lives next to you. Um, I'm not going to get into that, but I, I think uh, Jesus displayed that very appropriately with the, uh, the, the parable of the, the Good Samaritan where the priest and the Levite walked away, maybe took a sideways glance, but then the Samaritan came along and helped this poor person that was, that was uh, beat up by someone else. The greatest commandment. The next one I like to look at is to understand the will of the Lord for your life. And that's a question that we all wrestle with at times 
um, need to look at honestly, what is God's will for your life or for my life? Uh, I think we have a fairly good answer in Ephesians chapter 5. Let's turn to that. Ephesians chapter 5 is, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Ephesus, and there's a lot of practical teachings in this, in this book. Uh, but Ephesians 5, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but if we look down to verse 15, I'm going to read 15 to 21 again. Conrad made reference to this a few verses later, but in the same context. Uh, let's read verses 15 through 21. <clears throat> See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And uh, that's as far as we'll read. And then the rest of the chapter goes on to describe that further in more detail. He's speaking to wives. He's speaking to husbands. He's speaking to employees relating to their employers. Employers relating to God. And then the next chapter, even to children. So he pretty much covers all spectrums of our social world as we know it. And there's not many people that are left out in that. But let's just focus on these couple of verses right here. First of all, take a look at that uh, in verse 15. The word circumspectly. It's not used a lot. Uh, just a few times in scripture. But it has an interesting word in this context. Speaking of, when you think of, of uh, well, like it says in the next verse, we're living in evil days. We're living in dangerous times. Be careful how you live. That's what it means to, to, to live circumspectly. It means exactly, diligently, or accurately. The word circumspectly. It's used five times in Scripture. We are to walk carefully with exactness. The opposite, maybe that will help us get a better picture, the opposite would be to walk carelessly without proper guidance or even much thought. Kind of drifting, rolling with the flow, drifting with the current. That's a good picture of the opposite. You know, we are living in evil times and certainly must make wise decisions to do the will of the Lord, to discern his will, walk circumspectly, exactly, diligently, and accurately, or carefully. And then the next thought he, he talked about be filling to be filled with the spirit and the word filled means to be permeated with something that's in your whole being to be full to be controlled by and that there's a lot of uses for that word and in many cases that's exactly the context in I think it's one of the scenes of the trial that we just covered this morning in Sunday school the crowd was filled with I don't know, envy or whatever the words are, that's that same word that's used here to be filled with the Spirit. 
Um, they were controlled by this uh, envy and this anger that was, well, that was just, it was just who they were. That's how the spirit is to be a part of our lives. You know, and then along with that, the fruit of the spirit will be evident in your life because the spirit has an influence on you. The spirit permeates your life. If the spirit permeates your life, has an influence, there will be spirit fruit. And then we see too in, in Acts uh, 2.38, I'm going to just turn to that briefly, and that's the scene at Pentecost when the apostles were gathered in Jerusalem waiting, well, waiting for this very event. They weren't sure what to expect, but Jesus told them to go to Jerusalem and wait. And so they were waiting not sure what to expect, not sure what to happen. And uh, so that's what happened <clears throat> here in chapter 2 when they were there and the Spirit came upon them. That was the, the initial um, outpouring of the Holy Spirit on them. And then in chapter 3, I like that chapter, uh, it seems to, and I don't know how much time elapsed between chapter 2 and chapter 3 or Pentecost and this one right here, doesn't seem like there was a lot of time, but they were on their way to the temple, it says at the hour of prayer, and here's this lame man who had been there a long time begging for a handout. That was their way of supporting themselves. And of course, the Jews had some very rigid, specific ways of giving and, and, and supporting people like that. And, and that, was, that was a part of their culture. So here was this man expecting a handout from Peter and John. And uh, they were obviously on a main sidewalk, if you will, entryway into the temple. And look at verse 4. I like that theme. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. I suppose most of all, have, most of you have seen some guy with a little tin can somewhere looking for a handout. It's kind of awkward to make eye contact, isn't it? It's just easy to just kind of look sideways, cast it in his pail, and keep going. But I, I like this scene where where Peter looked at him and, hey, look at us. This is serious. This is not just, okay, here's my contribution, throw a quarter in. But I, I like that scene when you think of, of, of when, when, obviously this was not what the man was expecting. People like this were looked down on there in, in society, by society. They weren't given the respect they deserved. And I doubt that there was a lot of eye contact made with people like that by passers-by. But here's Peter and John approaching them, and again, filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, directed by the Spirit, because I doubt that Peter would have taken this step of faith if he didn't have some kind of direction from the Holy Spirit. Suppose it would have failed. Suppose he wouldn't have had the strength to get up. I don't think that was, that was an option in Peter's mind. He was very much filled by the Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit, and directed by the Spirit to do this very thing. And he did. 
And of course, the man was healed miraculously right then and there. And, and it, it, it says in verse 7 that his, his bones received strength and he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Now they weren't allowed to enter the temple either. Oh, there was an outer court where they were allowed to go, but the person that was um, handicapped in any way was not allowed to do this. So this was very likely the first time that this guy got to go into the temple. You can imagine the joy. But Peter and John, being filled by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, and directed by the Spirit, uh, performed this miracle by God's power. Certainly uh, a very um, encouraging example of, of that happening right here, before, right, right here in this scripture. <clears throat> the next one I'd look at is, is we want to look at the evidence of a spirit-filled life. And uh, you'll see there, verse, oh, turning back to Ephesians again. As we continue on in this, um, in, in these, these evidences here, verse 19, he's, he's, he's speaking of singing um, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, an evidence of joy, an evidence of joy in your life, and something, again, that, uh, an evidence of being filled with the Spirit. I'm always... Um, I'm not really involved in course right now, but oftentimes if you're involved in some of course like that, maybe course practice, whatever it is, Christmas program at school, um, it's not uncommon for people to leave with this song on their mind and humming as they're walking out the door. I, I love seeing that. And that's the picture that we have here. Um, a song on your mind, on your heart, and you're humming it to yourself. Uh, I, I like that scene. I guess that's what I'm, that's what I'm seeing here, uh, evidence of being joyful. And again, the spirit-filled or directed or spirit-controlled life. Moving on to verse 20, giving thanks. How basic is that? How basic? What does it mean to give thanks? You know, to give thanks is to acknowledge someone else for a deed or a gift, if you will. A person who is ungrateful, you know, ungratefulness is a form of idolatry. If you can go through life without being grateful, you're pretty much telling yourself, I don't really need you, I don't need anyone, I, I'm, I'm good, I can do it by myself. Ungratefulness is really a form of idolatry, and I think there's a good reason for that being here. Ungratefulness is idolatry. If you don't need another person or anyone else in your life, then there's obviously no reason to be grateful, is there? And so I think that, and, and all of us have to admit that, yeah, we do need each other. I need you, you need me. And again, a cause for gratefulness. So gratefulness, thankfulness also evidence of a spirit-filled life. The next one, verse 21, submitting one to another. And again, uh, let me go back. Submitting yourselves one to another in, in the fear of God. 
we kind of chafe at that one, don't we? We don't like that term. We don't like that term. Again, going back to our self-sufficiency, like to do things on our own, and be my own boss, do my own thing. Submitting one to another. There's a lot that, and, and again, we, this is in the context of the rest of the chapter, not just husbands to wives, wives to husbands, but all the way down through your social order at work, at home, family, and so forth. Uh, in the fear of the Lord, realizing that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. A grateful person realizes that his life is enriched by others. And again, a mark of humility. Acknowledging and realizing that you are enriched by the interaction of others and others in your life. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know, when we, when we are tempted to complain, Thanksgiving sort of is not really the first part and foremost part of our minds, that's when we make ourselves vulnerable to Satan and his, his attack. When we complain, you look inward at yourself, self-pity starts, starts developing, Thanksgiving kind of takes a back seat, a good chance for Satan to step in and do some, uh, um, do his work. But as we, as we realize that we truly are, we truly have a lot to be thankful for, grateful for, uh, that will certainly defeat, this, defeat Satan and it does glorify God. You know, by nature, we want to promote um, ourselves but the Holy Spirit enables us to submit to others. And Jesus was the ultimate example of that when he washed his disciples' feet. He taught them that the greatest person is the one who builds others up and not himself. Jesus taught that very clearly and very plainly as he did a servant's job and washed the disciples' feet. And they knew exactly what he was up to. I won't get into that, but uh, the beginning of the chapter starts with, or the beginning of that, maybe not the chapter, but the beginning of the chapter, it says, and supper being ended. And that is very key, because in their day, you didn't wait till after supper to wash your feet. That was done when you stepped inside the door. But having been at a I guess a rented room, if you will. No one, no one lived there. None of the guests lived there, so it wasn't really anyone's job. So they're all looking at each other. Well, are you going? No, I'm not going to. I'm the greatest. I'm sitting right next to him. So it was kind of an awkward situation. But Jesus realized that no one's going to wash their feet, and he did it. What a wonderful example of that. And the third one I look at is the mind of Christ, taken from Philippians 2. There's a lot said in this chapter about the mind of Christ and moving on into that thought of humility. I'm going to read, read verses uh, 1 through 8 in Philippians 2. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, and if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, 
having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God, but made himself no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. <clears throat> Take a look at verse 2. That ye be like-minded. And then he goes on to, to uh, talk more about that. And there's also... Um, in, in, in Philippians 3, verse 10, just over the next page, this is Paul's desire, that I may know him. This is speaking of Jesus Christ, that I may know him. And again, speaking of being like-minded, that we may know him. Now, that word means a very close and even an intimate relationship. That's the same word that's used of, of Joseph in Matthew 1.25, where he knew her not until after Jesus was born. That's that same word being used there. Paul's desire and our desire should be that we may know him in a very close, intimate way and be able to be like-minded and have the, the mind of Christ, as it says there in verse 5. Thinking of humility, starting there, verses 5 through 8, um, in Genesis 18, I think we have, I think, it says that the Lord appeared to um, Abram and Sarah, I think it is. Is that right, John? Abram and Sarah, when he announced the birth of Isaac? Yeah, I think that's yeah, what yeah. it is. Uh, yeah, um, it says the Lord, and that's the capital L-O-R-D. Many commentators think that was Jesus himself. Jesus would appear on the earth temporarily for a short time for a special announcement like that. Uh, but, you know, after he was born as a human baby, he was here to stay for his life. He didn't just stay for that day or for a short message. He was here for the rest of his life on the earth. But he did appear on earth from time to time temporarily. Humility, that's what I'm focusing on. Jesus knowing, of course, knowing us humans, knowing how we are, knowing how we think, knowing what, knowing our nature, which is to promote ourselves, as we said earlier, took upon him that same human form and came to the earth to live here as a human with humans for his whole earthly life, 33 years. And Paul goes right on here, speaking of the humility that he had and what he was all willing to do. I won't take too much time on that. But also thinking of the transformed mind as we have it in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, um, that you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's transformed is not just a different color shirt, for instance. It would mean a total and a complete remake 
overhaul, completely different form, like the caterpillar to the, to, to, to the butterfly. That's the meaning of that word. That's the picture that we have of a transformed mind, something that really is totally against the original nature. Again, thinking of the mind of Christ, James talks about the bridled tongue. Um, certainly, a lot of damage has been done, can be done with the tongue. Um, there's a lot said about the, the bridled tongue, and I guess I like that picture that, that James uses. Um, the bridle that you wear on a horse is an air and is an external force that does very effectively control the horse. Is there some kind of an outward force or an outward thing that we have uh, on a tongue? There isn't really, but that's a picture that, um, that James is, is putting before us. Something needs to bridle our tongue. And again, going back to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can certainly bridle a tongue. Just a few closing thoughts I want to read from Psalm 119. And thinking of learning from the Word. Psalm 19 has a lot of uh, little short verses that relate to that. The instruction that we can receive from God's Word. Psalm 119 verses uh, 9 through 16. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereunto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. There are several references made to our mind and the control that, well, God's word through his Holy Spirit has, can have on our life. Um, uh, you know, there, there's quite a few. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We believe that certainly God's word is powerful. God's word is, was written and inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that same spirit can uh, control us and give us victory over the unbridled tongue, if you will. The fulfilled life. Certainly my desire to, that we can all experience that in a new way. Whatever your calling may be. Um, even beyond pastors, there's obviously Sunday school teachers, there's parents, fathers, mothers. May we all find fulfillment in, in our life serving Christ. Let's stand and then I'm going to ask, I guess, Chad for a closing song and then we'll have a dismissal prayer.